Hello and welcome to NDA. I'm looking at the various cameras. I'm Dave Wiskus. This is the show where I, I talk to creator people about creator things, I guess. Sometimes we argue a little bit, um, but we all come together at the end as friends, I hope. Uh, today I have as my guest, I'm actually really excited about this, Abigail Thorne of The Prince mm-hmm. uh, out today, literally today on Nebula as we record this. Hey, Abby. Hey, Dave. It's I, good to finally be here. I can't believe you're here right now. Yeah, me neither. I, I can't believe anything that's happened in the last 24 hours. It's, it's been it's been unreal. It's been like a dream. This has been a whole fucking experience. Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously Philosophy Tube is where a lot of people would know you from. Um, the Prince, which just came out. You've got your podcast, uh, Kill James Bond. What what am I missing in the um, the the online creator persona part of your life? Just the online stuff? Oh, uh, I think you've just about covered all of it. Yeah, Philosophy Tube's the big one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what a lot of people know me from. Um, Philosophy Tube and Kill James Bond. Well, there's. But then so, there's the other half. So I say that's half. The other yeah. half, and the prince is kind of the the bridge between these two things. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Tell us about the other half. So the other half is that I'm an actress. Um, I've been acting since I, well, as long as I can remember, longer than I've been doing YouTube. And in the last few years, it's really sort of getting to a good place now. Um, So on Friday this week, it's all happening this week, um, the first episode of Django comes out on Sky and Catelia, which is a a Western period drama that I'm in. Um, And I've done various plays and stuff, quite a bit of Shakespeare, voiceover jobs, uh, a couple of things I can't really talk about yet. Mm. <laughs> um, I know uh, a little bit about those and holy shit. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So various sort of film projects, which I can't really mention yet. But. It's What's crazy to me, and we'll get into The Prince in a second, but it's crazy to me that no one has done the thing that you're doing. There's... Yeah, terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's... When you think of of uh, like YouTubers, which not my favorite word, but the the most successful YouTuber in terms of there's this this thing that I talk about in my NYU class, uh, like the triangle of fame. And if you imagine a triangle, and along the bottom the points are um, like reach mm-hmm. uh, and influence, and up at the top is cultural impact. And in that triangle, YouTubers all live down here along this bottom uh, uh, line, and not many of them move up. Like you might have somebody who's like, um, they have tons of views. A lot of people see them. And if they promote a product or a service that, or if they do things in a certain way, they have a lot of influence in their sphere. So somebody like Mr. Beast might sit in the middle of those two points Mm -hmm. and he might be slightly elevated up, but like YouTubers don't make it to the middle of the triangle. It's not a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody like, uh, I guess, maybe Bo Burnham has done interesting things where yeah. he's got more cultural impact mm-hmm. um, and and a little bit of reach, but not as much as a big-name YouTuber might. Mm-hmm. So something like Bo Burnham's inside might be, you know, over on this side of the triangle, but nothing in the center with the one weird notable exception of Justin Bieber. Yeah, yeah, but that was kind of because he, he got discovered, didn't he, mm-hmm. by somebody who was outside of YouTube. Yeah. Um, it's it's that sort of thing seems to happen sometimes. Is um, YouTubers will get sort of summoned out of YouTube. But, but he but he didn't, and this is this is why I find him so interesting. Not I mean his music's whatever, but like the fact that he uh, he started out as a person who made uh, videos on YouTube. Yeah. And he still regularly releases videos on YouTube. Yeah. With the same 
types of work. It is still him making videos about mm-hmm. uh, of, of songs that he created. That is still what he does. He still yeah. releases those. Arguably, he's still a YouTuber as mm-hmm. much as he ever was. It doesn't really happen that way by and large. And and the ways that people will try to get there, you've got Lily Singh's talk show, which was not a major success. Um, even somebody like Mr. Beast is, he's famous in the way that like Elon Musk is famous. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but I mean that like he is more aspirational than parasocial and he is more of like a caricature of a thing that somebody would imagine they want to be rather than like famous for his actual personality and contributions. Mm-hmm. Like he's famous for being the the head of something, not for like, it's a little bit different. Mm. Uh, and you've got uh, folks like say John Green, but he was, I think, more well-known for writing before YouTube. So I don't know what that is. Um, or you get like a YouTuber boxing is a mm-hmm. thing now. What you're doing is a very different path. Yeah. It's more similar to what to what Lindsay's, Lindsay Ellis is doing because she started on YouTube and is now mm-hmm. a kind of New York Times best-selling author. Um, so, I mean, I can't claim that level of success just yet. But yeah, I guess it is, it's like trying to move from YouTube into something else, but also like combining the two is the idea. Hey, Pixel. Pixel, you want to come up here and like chill? Come here. Yeah, so when I see Dr. Mike or something or Logan Paul going and doing the YouTuber boxing thing, I don't know if that really... Is that YouTuber building into something? Like, I guess what I'm driving to here is a lot of the approach seems to be YouTuber gets you something else and you can become something else. Yeah. As if, as if uh, YouTuber is the cocoon and you're just waiting to yeah. emerge as a butterfly. That's not the approach you're taking. Yeah, so there have been other YouTubers who've tried to get into acting before and they kind of don't do so much YouTube and then they just try and go into acting world. And that was actually my plan a couple of years ago. Um, but uh, I sort of took a look at the acting industry and, and took a look at my place within it, my casting and my age and so on. And I realized that if I did that, then, it, then I'm going to be playing, you know, small roles with like three or four lines or one scene in this or whatever. Um, unless I make my own work, which is really the only way you can kind of get, move up in the acting industry if you're not, you know, uh, the, the son or daughter of like a famous actor or whatever. Um, if you're trying Nepo to like, baby. yeah, if you're trying to break in from from the ground floor as I was, um, then uh, you kind of need to make your own work. And I said, well, if I'm making my own work, then I'd be a fool to throw away an audience of 1.3 million. Um, they're just like, it, it's such a useful thing to be able to do, to be able to distribute and say to people who are already invested in the things that I'm making, hey, I made something else in a sort of similar vein. Would you like to check it out? Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, we had talked about this years ago. It was, yeah. it was this thing of like, if you were to, uh, I don't know, crowdsource the funding for an independent film, mm. what is the best tool you could use to get people to go and, and give you money? Yeah, parasocial relationship. Like in a in a perfect world, you would go get some influencer to tell their audience and convince yeah. them to support. You already have that audience. You should, yeah. of course, you should use that. Already the influencer. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but uh, you aren't on a path of desperately trying to get away from YouTube. No, no. Well, actually, funnily enough, a couple of years ago, I I, I was. I was sort of in a bit of a rut creatively because Philosophy Tube turns 10 years old this year. That's crazy. I know, I know. Um, and around about year seven or eight, 
I was like, oh, maybe I'll wind this down. Um, and then I, I sort of discovered a new new creative vein and just sort of got back into it. Now I sort of enjoy it a lot more. Um, but also, as I say, like, well, it was it was really through the prints that I realised we can put these two things together. And through conversations that you and I have had, you were saying, oh, like, you know, you, you can sell this many tickets in this amount of time. Like, that is... That's something that like a lot of traditional celebrities couldn't do and that sort of the world of traditional yeah. acting industry needs to pay attention to. In fact, the reason I first got Metal Rabbit, the producers of The Prince on board, um, is because uh, I said, hey, I've already got this audience. And George, one of the producers, said, oh, you need to come up with some way of gauging uh, how many of these people would really come and see you or not. So I just tweeted. I said, hey, this is what the play's about in a sentence. If this was on in London, would you actually come and see it? Like this tweet. Left it 24 hours. And then I showed it to them. I said, George, if only half of these people turn up, in other words, if this is only 50% accurate, we're going to sell out the Southwark Playhouse for five weeks. And he was like, oh, okay, yeah. And that's how we started working together on it. Every step of this has been kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, you, yeah. <laughs> uh, we were talking about like, I was trying to get people to to give us pitches for Nebula Originals. Mm -hmm. Like bring me, a lot of creators will bring me things that are like, yeah, here's my show, but a little bit different. It's mm -hmm. like, we already have that. Yeah. Like, give me something that's like either really blown up in scale and scope or very different from what you normally do. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's what the audience is going to be excited about. On YouTube, you kind of have to worry about like the discovery algorithm and serving the audience you have while reaching new audiences. It is harder to take a channel about, say, uh, media criticism and suddenly release a nature documentary mm -hmm. and have the audience be along for the ride. Some subset of those people would be, but most won't. And it's going to read as a failure because the view counts will be way lower yeah. or whatever. The The nature of what we do, having it be having Nebula as its own platform, we don't show the view counts. We know what they are. They're mm -hmm. much higher than you would think. But it's not about popularity in that way. Mm -hmm. And because it's a, it's a paywalled platform, the things that people would come in for, they're paying to come in for those things. So mm -hmm. some subset of your audience, rather than getting, you know, 100,000 views on YouTube, you could get 100,000 views on Nebula, each one from a person who spent 4 or $5 for yeah. that month to, to have access to it. That is not just more meaningful because it's a more targeted audience, but because there's, there's dollars behind it. Yeah. Just like when you put a movie in theaters, you get the ticket sales. Yeah. So for, for us, like, you doing a thing, that is different from what you do. If, if people will show up, they bring money with them. Let's fund that project. Mm. And when when you came back to me, like, well, I've got this play. My first thought was, what the fuck are we going to do with this? Yeah. What is play? Well, because I, I thought about, I, I liked the idea of doing a Nebula original. And I thought, well, I can't really do Philosophy Tube but bigger, which was kind of what the, mm. what the first thought was, was, well, what's your show but bigger? And I was like, well, it's already about as big as I can make it because... The money that goes into Philosophy Tube, I don't regard as being mine. It like goes in, it comes from my patrons. It goes into a separate bank account that isn't my personal bank account, and that's the budget for the show. And I already try to put as much as possible of that money as I can onto the screen. Um, so that's why the set of costumes in the set are, are mm. elaborate, and why there's like social media managers and makeup artists and so on. Um, it's because I'm already trying to say that's not my money. That goes onto the screen so that everyone can see it. I was like, I can't really do philosophy tube but bigger you know somebody said to me a while ago they said if you somebody said you've got a million pounds and you've got to spend it on philosophy tube what would you do and i was like i don't know i guess i'd buy some billboards on the tube like i'd just tell people to watch it i'd like mm -hmm. take out some adverts and just try and get more people watching it um so i wasn't really sure how to take advantage of the nebula original idea and then um 
we were putting the prints together and sort of struggling a bit. And I just remembered those conversations you and I had about putting those two things together. And I was like, huh, well, I wonder if Dave would go for this. That was a bit weird. And I honestly, when I first pitched it to you, I worried a bit about wasting your time. Um, <laughs> so, I think you described me as like, it's Shakespeare, but the Matrix. And I'm like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so Donica, the dramaturge, he described it as um, uh, Elizabethan sci-fi. And I started telling friends it's like The Matrix if it was written in 1600. Yeah, I described it to somebody <gasps> earlier today as uh, it's like Charlie Kaufman wrote an episode of Doctor Who about Shakespeare. Yeah. And I think in, I think in a way, looking at the script now, because, I mean, I finished writing it almost a year ago. Um, looking at the script now, I can tell that I got my a lot of my script writing experience in YouTube video essays. There are mm. parts of it that are quite video essay, like a character will go, okay, here's this concept and here's explaining it in a fun way. Um, I think part of the reason that it is so... That's useful though. In no, a, yeah, a sci-fi thing, it, you need someone to do that. I think that. it kind of works. Like I think part of the part of the reason it's, it's so weird is it kind of in some ways issues the traditional rules of, uh, of dramatic writing and like structuring and so on mm. just because I drew on the experience that I had and I hadn't had the kind of training and experience of writing like a structured act one, act two, act three, act four, five um, piece that I have now. Um, so I, I think you can kind of tell and I, I think that made it also quite a good fit for Nebula because the people who are coming into it are people who know <laughs> video yeah. essays. Yeah, the yeah, people who have yeah. like seen my show on YouTube before and so they're like, okay, well, okay, if this is a video essay and this is like, I don't know, Aaron Sorkin's new play, What's like, what's like here? <laughs> what's, what's this thing that is a play? It's definitely like a piece of stage drama with characters and conflicts and rising action and stuff, but it's still kind of got a little bit of the flavor of, of a video essay. It's uh, coming out of it. I, so I was through the process at the very beginning uh, when you brought this to me, like we talked through, all right, well, this is what she wants to do. We got uh, Simon, I think, on the phone. We talked through, like, here's how it's going to work. And I just said, how, I, okay. How much money do you need? Because the only question I can answer is, can I give you this money or can I not give the, you this no, money? The very question you asked was, how much do you need to make this play kick ass? And I was handed a number and I said, all right, fine. <laughs> so, no, no, I'm sorry. So what actually what actually happened, uh, listeners, um, is that we were in this meeting, me, Simon and George, the producers of The Prince and Dave. And Dave said, all right, how much do you need to make this play kick ass? And George, uh, very, very Englishly, was like, oh, to, to kick ass. Um gave you this number and what you said was all right anything else and george george was like okay <laughs> great no that'll do it well what i was looking for in I that think moment I said, do you want to read the script and you were like nope <laughs> wasn't like what am i gonna do with the script i have notes <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's not my job yeah. in this moment uh no what i was looking for with the number was is this number so high that it we just can't do it mm-hmm. Because the first question is how much you need to make it kick ass, and if it came back and the number's too high, it's like, all right, how how much do you need to make it good? Mm-hmm. And like maybe there's some combination of what we can do and what we can do with crowdfunding or something. Mm-hmm. And he came back and the number that he gave me was like, it's the upper end, the upper end or slightly above the upper end of of what we could have possibly done. But it was like, if that's what it takes to make this kick ass, like we'll figure out the rest. Mm-hmm. And so just yeah, done. Uh, but part of it was. After that meeting, you and I talked, and you said that you you were nervous. Like now, now I have to make it good. Like what if the what if the play is not actually yeah. any good? I was terrified because you you put a sort of big leap of faith in me. You put a lot of trust in me 
yeah. like financially and like True. all of a sudden it became real and it's like oh there are people's like jobs and a lot of money riding on this now yeah, what I said was like, I don't care if it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally true. Uh, what I care about is, will your audience be excited? Because if your audience will be excited, they'll show up with money. Mm-hmm. And if it's bad, that's um, they can take that up with you, not with me. Um, and if it's, if it's good, like, if it's bad, doesn't hurt me at all. Mm-hmm. They still showed up and they paid. If it's good, then we all look good. Mm-hmm. Like there's not really a ton of downside for me. And along the way, if we can help you make sure that what you're trying to do gets captured, then like, you know, we all come out looking like geniuses. We all, uh, or at least we look like we did a a cool thing together. Mm -hmm. Not everything needs to be art. A lot of projects can be, this is somebody having fun with the narrative. Like when I look at, um, uh, it wasn't out at the time yet, but Night of the Coconut, Mm -hmm. Patrick Williams' original, which... I loved every second of being mm. involved in that. And I wasn't just executive producer. Like I was, I'm, I've, I think I've got third billing. Like I'm one of the. Yeah, yeah you're in it. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm very in it. And behind the scenes, like if I'm not on camera, I'm usually like holding a, a boom pole or something mm-hmm. on that production. It was a ton of fun. But it is a season finale to a TV show that doesn't exist except within the margins <laughs> of YouTube videos over the course of a couple of years. And so we understand that it's kind of a fun, dumb, niche project for Mm -hmm. a very specific audience. And it's a love letter to that audience. And I do not say that with any uh, shame or regret, Mm -hmm. but it is not intended to to have broad appeal. Mm -hmm. So if there are things that could have been done better, places where we could have put more budget um, to make it more, you know, like a, a Marvel movie or something, like, sure, because that's not what we were trying to make. So with this, it's like, well, this is... A play, a, uh, a Shakespearean style play, theater in the round that we're going to do a pro shot of. If it's a creator project that is like really fun and the audience is excited for you, it doesn't need to be perfect in order for the audience to like, like believe that hype and like mm-hmm. really root for you. Well, that's a very sort of producer mindset, actually, because I remember saying the same thing to Simon. Um, Simon and I, is, Simon is a producer of The Prince and, and we've been friends for years. And I said Met him last him, night, he was delightful. Yeah, 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 wonderful guy, fantastic. He's one of the only people I know in the world who's like a great artist and also he can like solve a Rubik's Cube in under 90 seconds. <laughs> he's, he's one of the only people I know who's like a fantastic creative genius, but he's also extremely organized. Um, so Simon and I had the same conversation. I said, I'm worried now, Simon, because now it's got to be good because, you know, now it's everyone's job's on the line. People are giving up a lot of their time and heart to do this. And he said something that he had said before, which is very wise. He said, it doesn't have to be good. It only has to exist. Like from an artistic point of view, it doesn't really matter if it doesn't set the world on fire or is or is imperfect. And for the record, I think that what we've made is is like good. I'm proud of it. <laughs> it's it's nice that it turned out to be good. Well, yeah, um, but yeah. it didn't have to. It, it's it's nice that it just exists. Well, I, I think to the spirit of of my original um, point in that conversation, we saw when the announcements came out, and we we built a strategy together of like. Mm-hmm. Here's when you start talking about how you're working on something. And here's the sponsor read where you kind of tease what the thing is going to be. Yeah. And then in this video, you announce it. And in this video, there's ticket sales. Mm-hmm. And when uh, when you announced tickets and it started like, it was like some crazy, and like it was 50% sold out in some number of weeks or something. And I just remember us all sitting back going like, well, I don't know how else to call that. Of like, what other qualifier do we need for this to be a win? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we went into 
rehearsals with over half the tickets already sold. That's nuts. Yeah, which just doesn't happen. And actually a lot of people from the traditional acting industry have also said that to me. I think, so my agent, um, Kirk, who is also the agent of a number of quite high profile actors, came to see the play and he came out of it and he was like, how have you done this? Mm-hmm. How have you managed to get this like new new audience, first of all, because audiences haven't really recovered in theatre in Britain after COVID. Um, people stopped going to the theatre, they got out of a habit and they haven't really bounced back. And a lot of theatres are suffering. It's and like, were these even theatre people or was it just like fans some, coming to see you? Well, there were some theatre people, um, some Shakespeare heads, but actually we got some people, these are the ones that kind of touched me the most. Um, there were some people who said, I've never seen a play before. Oh, wow. I've never been to the theatre before. Because it just didn't feel like it was for me. And then they came along and they loved it. And I was like, that's amazing. So we had new new audiences coming in, um, younger audiences coming in, queerer audiences coming in, people who just don't normally get to go and see this kind of thing. And the audiences, like, we got a standing ovation almost every single night. I think there was two matinees where we didn't get a standing ovation because wow. it was a matinee and everyone was, you know, a Saturday matinee, everyone's a bit sort of like, oh, I've had a bit of a drink. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think almost every show we got a standing ovation and the audience just loved it. And Kirk was like, how the hell have you done this? And I was like... I told you, it's YouTube. I told you it was good. <laughs> so the audience is there. The audience is excited. Um, they they show up. They actually buy tickets. They come to see the thing. Mm-hmm. There's support there. But the, that that's a win for all of the things I needed for win condition. And a bunch of people were signing up for Nebula so that they could see it when it came out, mm-hmm. um, supporting the, the concept and supporting, like, the structure of it. Every win condition that we needed satisfied before before opening night. Mm-hmm. Which, from our perspective, like, fuck yeah, that sounds great. Like, yeah. We'll, we'll take that every time. Uh, but then it comes out and it starts winning awards and it starts getting taken very seriously. Somewhere, I think it was uh, summer or something, my wife got us tickets to see Macbeth on Broadway's Daniel Craig. We were front row, center. Daniel Craig was spitting on me for like two hours. Look um, at you. Yeah. Uh, but Malcolm was played by Asia Kate Dillon, non binary actor from. Uh, uh, the third John Wick movie. And I didn't think much of it until I started catching, it's like Shakespearean language. It's like, it's mm-hmm. so flowery and it's so yeah. Shakespearean. Uh, but I started noticing that they would say things like the monarch mm-hmm. or instead of the king or instead mm-hmm. of the prince. Uh, and and they uh, Daniel Craig's Macbeth kept saying they at mm-hmm. times where I was like, are they doing the thing? And yeah. it clicks for me and they start saying monarch. I'm like, they're doing the thing. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's cool. That's cool. Like just yeah. a, uh, glossing over it because it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. change the story yeah, at all. Yeah. So like this can be just the normal. Uh-huh. And I remember coming out of that thinking like, oh, this has some interesting implications for us, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. This has some, like it wasn't pushed this way. It wasn't advertised this way. Mm-hmm. It could just exist that way. And nobody in the audience seemed to think anything of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The show continues on. It doesn't. It doesn't impact anything, but uh, the fact that that would be a mainstream production uh, lent itself, at least in my head, lent itself to the notion that a thing like this could have broader appeal than just a YouTube audience wanting to go support somebody doing a cool thing. Yeah. And so when when the prince starts winning awards and starts getting real attention, uh, to me that was a moment of like, there's something real here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it, it was amazing. And, and that sort of thing, that, like, like they did in that Daniel Craig production, that's the sort of thing that I think is 
sadly, perhaps more common in the US at the moment than the UK. I think UK trans, the UK theatre scene has, has a bit of a problem with trans people at the moment. Oh, um, yeah, I thought I thought uh, UK and trans people was a totally uh, solved problem. Yeah, really yeah, yeah, it's great. all really good. Those two things go really well together. I've never, um, never heard of any problems there. No, um, mm. but uh, yeah, um, so that sort of thing, I feel like, I feel like it can happen more often in the US that it can just be casual, whereas I think if you were to do that sort of thing in the UK, you would get um, pushback uh, on it. You would get people interpreting it as political, um, as indeed there yeah. were, there were un- unfortunately, um, some reviewers of The Prince who were transphobic about me in particular, um, which which was hurtful from the like, more right-wing papers. Um, were they reviewing, but, be- was it an actual review? Did they see it? Yeah, oh yeah, they came to see it. Yeah, yeah. I won't, I won't name the paper all, but there, there was... But they still had shit to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There like, was one. What? There was one reviewer who who was like transphobic about me, which which was hurtful because I was like, oh, my parents read this paper, um, so that was a shame. But you know, that's part of the course. Um, I, I was kind of expecting that, so it, it feels like that sort of thing. There is an appetite for it, and we know there's an appetite for it because the audience came along and loved it, and like the the non-transphobic press in Britain, which is. It, Small sector of the press, but but a real one. Um, they loved it too, um, and it did it did win the awards, and the audience had a good time. And yeah, I, I made it a point because uh, I was supposed to be out for the the closing night, mm. and uh, things happened. I wasn't able to go, which was heartbreaking for me. I don't know. I think it's kind of fun. It was fun because I hadn't seen the film until last night. It was fun riding in the limo with you to the premiere and be like, neither of us has seen this thing. Like, it's, it's exciting. <laughs> and trying to avoid spoilers. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you, you guys trying not to tell me anything. So I'm like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I had this very blurry idea of what I was about to go into. So going I in- really enjoyed. So there's there's a moment two minutes in where like for the first two minutes there's like a mislead and then you get to that 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 line that Jen has and like we just let the audience go a little bit and I was I was sitting there laughing to myself like just feeling you next to me just like sitting back like oh it's all Shakespeare is it it's all, it's all okay whatever what is this people like this and then we get that line where the, like the joke is resolved and you go oh okay and like you were laughing along for the rest of it and I was like there's that moment very early on. I know the moment because you looked over at me and my wife like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> like there was a real like, all right, they got it. They got good, it. Good, good, like, good. I could see you waiting for that reaction. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it, it like, it, it is a ride for sure. But I, I, I feel very fortunate that the first time I get to watch this thing is literally sitting next to you in the theater at the premiere where you're watching it from the audience. This mm-hmm. is a play. You don't normally get to watch yourself in a play from the audience. That's so well. It's the first time I've ever been in a cinema and seen myself on the screen. Hopefully it will not be the last time. Um, but I don't imagine it will be. <laughs> um, but, but that's, yeah. that's super weird. Like, even, even if there's going to be a pro shot, you don't normally have the pro shot... In a cinema, yeah. In, yeah, yeah. in the cinema mm-hmm. in, with an audience like that. Yeah. Like that's a really rare. I have to imagine that's a really rare yeah. experience. Yeah. Well, there are some big theaters in in the UK who do it. Like National Theatre sometimes do National Theatre Live. Mm. Um, oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, so it's harder th- to do it like, when it's live. They'll they'll stream it. Or um, I went to see um, I remember a few years ago I saw a wonderful production of of Mice and Men with James Franco and Chris O'Dowd that was a recording that had been done on the National Theatre and then very much similar to what we did. Um, and that was wonderful. So mm. it is occasionally done. Um, but certainly the idea of like doing it with a streaming service like Nebula, like like a content platform. That was very new. But also, interestingly, everyone I've spoken to in acting world about it, they go, what's the story? How did you make this happen? And I tell them this, they go, 
that's such a good idea. How did you come up with that? And I was like, I just texted the guy, the guy who owns it and said, do you want to do it? Like, hey, I've got an idea. All right, let's, mm-hmm. uh, here's some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, w- I wish it were that clean and... Uh, and and simple on the back end. Mm. In the in the Q and A afterwards, um, you were you were very. Um, I appreciated the the tone of gratitude. Like truly, that meant a lot to me. But I also want to make sure that I'm not taking any more credit for anything mm. than I actually deserve. I I said yes and wrote a check. Very very little involvement after that. Yeah, but Dave, do, I mean. I didn't do this. Like, do you know, I guess... That's what executive producer means. Just like, yep, go ahead. Yeah, but do you know how difficult it is to get oh, someone to sure. say yes sure, to a creative sure. project? Like, like so... Do you know how many creative projects I've, like, pitched in the last year that people have gone, no, or sorry, not yet, or no, this isn't right for us? Like, getting somebody to say yes, that is the hardest part of the whole fucking thing. Well, this is why, and let's connect these two thoughts back together. This is why it's so interesting the way you're going about building your acting career. And strategically, like, it's not just like we know each other and I happen to run a streaming platform. We've worked together for years. We represent you on YouTube sponsorship stuff. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's already a working relationship here. So we have this, uh, I have an ethical and fiduciary obligation to, like, help solve certain kinds of problems or think strategically. And we think about... You know, will there be a balance of the number of people who signed up for the thing being more than, or the money coming in for that being more than the money spent on the sponsorship? And like, how does this affect this? Part of what we were looking at in all of this was, what is your career trajectory? And as we said earlier, uh, we had a whole conversation about acting versus YouTube Mm -hmm. and like, should one replace the other? And I advocated for like, I don't don't think that they are necessarily that different or that disconnected. And if there's an opportunity... How can we build a narrative arc for you of you did this and that gets you a little bit more here, which elevates the YouTube stuff and maybe brings in a a broader audience, which can help you get the next thing to help you Mm -hmm. get the next thing. So The Prince is uh, like what excited me about it is it starts to set up the story of you doing more than people would expect from you. You getting to show off different parts of your abilities or your your passions in a mm-hmm. way that maybe the audience wouldn't normally get to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was having a meeting earlier on today with um, some people I can't really name. Um, but I, I accidentally coined this term actfluencer um, because it came out of the conversations that we've had about the ability of, of, influ- of influencers to sell tickets to fix. Um, mm-hmm. and be able to like, get audiences in, new audiences. Um, and how that was something that the traditional acting world isn't, isn't great at taking advantage of sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, some some are. So interestingly, um, I won't name them, but I've, I've done sort of a couple of, I've done a, quite a few TV series over the last few years. I did one um, where the production company responsible sent me the trailers and the hashtags and all the social media dates and the embargoes well in advance and said, this is what you need to be posting. And then I did another one where I, I had to rip the trailer off another actor's Instagram because they just told me nothing about it. And I'm like, mm. you have shot yourselves in the foot because you haven't realized what having somebody with that training in your cast can do. Mm. Now, I'm not coming back to that thing. Um, I'm not saying uh, that people shouldn't also be trained as professional actors. Like, that's something that I do sometimes have to stress because people go, oh, you're an influencer. Do you like makeup or whatever? And I'm like, no, actually, I, I did actually, you know, go to professional drama school and I auditioned to get in and I had conservatoire training and I have I have trained it. Um, so I think, but if you've got somebody who has both skill sets, um, then there's 
that's a very, very powerful thing. Um, and you can have somebody who is kind of an act fluencer, which I don't know. I think that's quite fun. <laughs> you and it's not just it's not just the acting side. Like you, you wrote this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, part of what sells. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's not forget that, Abby. Yeah. Uh, Part of what what sold me on you writing something like this is the trans coming out story video. Identity, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I I think is maybe my favorite YouTube video ever. Oh, thank you. Because it was just a work of genius to do something like that in this format. It recognizes. Uh, uh, it recognizes what a video essay is and the function of storytelling in a video essay, but it is itself its own narrative with a massive plot twist that I don't know how many people saw that coming. I don't know. But, like, as soon as it happens, uh, like, you, you've, the, the, thing, the thing in the video finishes and you, you think back, like, how did I miss that? It's like watching Fight Club for the first time. Like how <laughs> this the whole time, yeah. the whole time, uh, and I, I don't even want to spoil it here. If you haven't seen it, like go watch this. I but, was really proud of that one. It, it trended at number one on YouTube for a while, just for, and I have a screenshot. Some of this like identity trending number one on YouTube, and I was like, it was like truly <laughs> a work of genius. Thank you. And and that requires like it, it's one thing to have that as an idea, or to like get it a little bit of the way there. Like, okay, I, I see what you're doing. But to actually pull it off, that's a production. Yeah, That yeah. requires writing and that requires casting. Uh-huh, and that yeah. requires uh, the theatricality of it and understanding the production design and understanding the rehearsal process to really, to make that believable, especially oh, yeah. in a world where uh, you are bound by the the framework of, uh, the parasocial relationship with the audience to be able to pull that particular trick off in that video, uh, that's that's genuinely remarkable. I think a lot of the credit has to go to to Reese who who played the other part in in that uh, in that video. Um, a lot of people actually, he was so good, he was so dead on, so good. But a lot of people still go, was that not you? And I'm going, no, no, no. They go, did you film that? I was actually chatting the other day to, I hope you won't mind if I'm dropping his name, Finster, um, who was uh, who was saying, oh, I really love that video. It must have taken you years to film. And I was like, what do you mean? We filmed it in an afternoon. And he's like, well, how did you do that? And I was like, because it's not me. Because <laughs> it's somebody else. Right? For like, for people to even, I think we've kind of spoiled it at this point, but um, for people who who know you in real life and knew you then, who people have known you for a long enough period yeah. of time to watch that and not get it until the changeover. Mm-hmm. I remember watching the thing and that moment hits and I like I just hit pause and I'm like, is that real like what am I missing? Like it almost felt like I couldn't believe this was a narrative storytelling thing that happened. I'm thinking like, I I think I'm watching this wrong. <laughs> I like my brain broke. I couldn't contextualize what I was even saying. If I believe any YouTuber can pull off something complex and interesting and meaningful uh, in in a theater performance, my money's going to be on you every time. Well, literally, but like I, I would bet on you because you were able to do this other thing, which mm-hmm. I I don't know if if. It could ever be topped 
like genuinely a masterclass in in uh, like theatrical video essay production. Mm -hmm. I don't know what else could somebody even do that Thank that you. would that would be that good. Well, there's a couple of videos that I look back on as as being sort of high watermarks for my for myself. Things that I'm proud of that we made artistically. One of them is that, and the other one is men abuse trauma, which which is now sort of outdated for various reasons. Um, and I don't stand by everything I said in it uh, for obvious reasons. But I think as a, as a piece of art, we're really proud of that. And the one that's 30 minutes long, it's one uncut take. Um, and the whole thing is, oh, is, wow. is, yeah, the whole thing is, um, is one continuous monologue and it's it's um about abusive relationships and it's it's all inspired by the play no exit by jean paul sartre and it's one shot continuously and then halfway through the camera revolves under 80 degrees and you realize you've been looking in a mirror the whole time and then i do like a really quick costume change off so we we revolve all the way around and then and then it comes back on me and i've changed um so that was kind of the first foray we did into this is a work of art. Oh, and also we made um, we made a short film called Data uh, years ago. Again, pre-transition, um, where like time rewinds every thirty seconds. Or there's two characters having a conversation, and every time they reach a philosophical dead end, time resets and they do it again. And you see every possible version of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. this so, kind of like yeah. narrative weaving and storytelling mm. and the and the cleverness. Um, like this show is supposed to be people arguing. So, you know, not not just to, to kiss your ass and tell you you're great, but the 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 truth is like it's easier to buy this because it's not this massive departure from what you've done. Yeah, uh, I guess. Dr. Mike, uh, I, I consider a friend, but he's a doctor who then goes and punches people. Mm -hmm. That's funny. Yeah. Um, and he won his first professional fight mm -hmm. and then lost the second one. But like he takes it very seriously. It's a yeah. hobby. It's been a hobby for a long time, but it's not something that's like, it's not woven into the fabric of the thing that he he does. Mm -hmm. And there's no logical jumping off point from this to this. They're just two completely different aspects of yeah. his life and who he is as a person. For you, it is easy to see how this is just a, uh, like the way you make things on the internet is a manifestation of all of these things about yourself, which is why I don't think that uh, this instead of this is the right answer. Mm -hmm. It seems like using this to show off all of these skills and build it into something yeah. else is much more compelling. Yeah, well, it's been an interesting couple of years as these things do start to come together. Um, like one of the, uh, I was telling you before we started recording, one of the uh, the shows that I'm doing at the moment that I can't name. I wish um, you could. Really <clears> I wish I could too. Um, it's so fucking cool. But this, yeah, this. I'm genuinely jealous. <laughs> I'm very jealous. Like. Of all of the things I get to hear about people doing or all of the cool stuff that different creators have going on in their lives, this is one where I'm like, fucking wish I could do that. Yeah. Well, so so I, I have a, a small role in a very big thing. And um, the uh, the creator of the very big thing uh, is is a big fan of Philosophy Tube. And on the set, she she came up to me and... and wanted to say hello, which was wonderful. And um, some of the some of the people who were at the premiere last night um, who are developing projects um, that they want me to be in are fans of Philosophy Tube and then of The Prince. And then they're going, okay, what's the next thing we can do with Abigail? And, and even just before we started recording, I got a message from a screenwriter who's saying, oh, I really want to develop something in this universe, which I'm very excited about. Like, I want to develop it with you and for you. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's... Incredible. So it, it's it's been really interesting to see these things starting to slowly creep together. And and I don't want to play the where do you see yourself in five years game, but like, how how do you see the 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 two facets weaving together over the next one year, six months, uh, two years? 
where do you where do you want them to interweave and and how do you think as you do big projects you can't talk about right now mm-hmm. um what impact does that have on philosophy tube and what does philosophy tube sh- uh, uh, get reshaped into over time well i'm not really sure about that um i try not to think too far ahead for philosophy tube because i find it if I get too into the sort of planning and the data and the analytics and I get anxious, I'm trying to be better about that. And I'm like applying more of the sort of the science to it. Because um, up until maybe about a year ago, I was I was really quite precious with Philosophy Tube. I used to do these like one word titles, like social constructs or whatever. And um, that was very much kind of artsy. And I was like, I don't need to pay attention to the analytics and artists. And I was like, well, if I keep doing that, then that's great. But it's slowly going to tail off. And there is a science to YouTube and Mr. Beast for everything else has changed the game on titles. So I said, okay, I'm not going to be too proud to learn a new trick. Um, so I changed the way I do titles and thumbnails and it worked. Uh, oh, and also um, the most recent thing I did was um, after my NHS video at the end of last year, a bunch of people signed up to my Patreon. So I was like, okay, again, this is my patron's money. I have to invest this money in the show. I can't just go and spend this on, you know, like champagne and shit. Uh, I, I, I can't do that. Like, so I need to invest it back in the show. What can I do? I'm going to hire a social media manager. I'm going to get myself on Instagram and TikTok because that's where the new audiences are. Um, and we just launched on TikTok a couple of days ago and it's it's blowing up. It's doing really well. Mm. Um, that's testament to, to my social media manager being very good. Well, this is this is what any creator should do. Mm-hmm. Uh, take the successes, reinvest it back into your business. Yeah. Philosophy Tube is a business. You said earlier all the money goes into a separate bank account that is not your personal bank account mm-hmm. and it gets reinvested in the show. That is the correct answer. You should be reinvesting the success of your business back into the business. Yeah. You say that that's the, the, the Patreon money. I assume that like AdSense money doesn't necessarily need to do that or sponsor money. There oh, may no. be all no. of it, like every penny of it goes back in. How do you pay well, yourself? Well, it all goes into that account, and then I get paid a little salary for you, that. Is like a okay? Uh, is it like a, a a set salary like per year? Do you do board votes on your raise? Like, how do you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, the, the the board would just be would just be me, but um, I have a an accountant who just says this is what this is what you get. It's not much. I'm actually I'm I'm not the highest paid person on Philosophy Tube. <laughs> really? Yeah. Maybe work towards that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure that it's sustainable yeah. for you. But no, but, no, it's sustainable. Like I have enough, and I have enough to live on. But no, that that money stays where it needs to go, um, and because because I don't really see it as mine. For reinvesting back in the business, hiring other people to edit, hiring other people to do lighting, hiring hiring people to do mm-hmm. makeup or costuming, or the things that make your show your show, mm-hmm. the things the things that make Philosophy Tube truly excellent. Mm-hmm. Investing back into that to do the crazy artistic shit that you want to do that the audience loves that like yeah. sets you up for, for future successes uh, with stuff like this, that is where you should put that money. Yeah, well, I've seen some creators who, I'm not knocking them, um, who make a lot of money and then they buy a house um, or they buy two houses and they kind of start a side business as a landlord. And I'm like, okay, I guess, but I want to, I guess, I've said this before on a few things, but for me, not just Philosophy Tube, but The Prince as well, it feels like there's like a tiny little spirit who makes it. There's a tiny little lady who lives in a little door in a tree in the woods. And I go into the woods and I like knock gently and she tells me like, this is what the next episode is about. Like, this is what your play is about. And I'm like, thank you very much. Um, I feel like buying a house somewhere doesn't give her what she needs. And I want to sort of keep listening to that. And if I'm getting money from my patrons because they like the show, 
that's not really for me. Mm. I do spend some of it on myself, you know. I'm I'm not I'm not eating gruel and <laughs> and stuff, you know. I'm coming to New York and like yeah, doing doing yeah. the whole nine yards. Like, um, you paid for the limo, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'm doing okay. Can, hang on, I want to I want to call that out just so anyone anyone who's listening wondering <laughs> about uh, lifestyle uh, extravagance or whatever. Um, there was a discussion. A fucking discussion about that limo yeah. and whether or not it would be okay for you to be seen getting out of a limo. Yes, yeah, I, I did. I did wonder that. This is like one of those things. The earliest conversations I had with you, it was very much about like, does this structure of ownership really mean this? And philosophically, mm-hmm. can you really call what happens on Nebula creator owned if it's this? And me having to like answer and then kind of resh- we reshaped entire agreements with all of our creators around some of those conversations to satisfy what what your concerns were. The way I got around that was I, I said in some of the old sponsor reads, I said, um, the creators on Nebula each own a little piece of it, which which I think is true. It is literally true. It's, yeah. uh, we do it through a mechanism called phantom equity, uh-huh. um, which means that you you have... It's equity, but you have like half a mask. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and a, a, a lot of uh, operatic, uh, but eighties uh, music. Lots of other equity, you say. Since, <laughs> since, since, and pipe organs. It's kind of the balance <laughs> of those two things. The phantom equity. It means that uh, you don't legally own it today, but if it's ever sold, you get a cut of the proceeds. Mm-hmm. So the reason that you want this is because we can automatically adjust how much you own based on how well you do. So yeah. if you're kicking ass, then you you get more mm-hmm. versus like, hey, we're just trying to sign this really big creator, so we gave them a bunch and it diluted you down. Mm-hmm. We want it to be instantly, automatically fair to everyone. Yeah, I like that. Uh, but, but the other part of it is that you don't have to pay taxes on phantom equity until you get the money. Mm. Whereas like LLC level equity or uh, S corp or C corp level equity, you have tax liabilities all along the way, even if you're not making any money. Mm-hmm. And even if it breaks even, like it's still a bunch of fucking paperwork. Who wants to yeah. do that? Yeah. So we did this for those two reasons. It's mm-hmm. cleaner, it's easier, less liability, less faff for you. Mm-hmm. But it is still, you you own the thing. Mm-hmm. You don't have stock certificates. I think it was just a half as interesting video about how all of the stocks in the U.S. are actually owned by one company. So even if you buy stocks, you don't technically own a stock. Hmm. So shout out to that half as interesting video. You can see hmm. it on Nebula. The, the All of these things are sort of money is a made up concept. Yeah. Like it's all fake. Uh, but what we're doing, like, it's a legitimate thing. But you beat me up. Like you, you I don't mean a bad way, but like you pushed me to be able to explain it in a way that I could, I had to defend it. Hmm. And I find that at all levels, me needing to defend these ideas that like, they'll come to me and I'm like, this is a great thing, here's why it's great. And then I'll get, yeah, but what about this? Hmm. Do you really think this? I'm like, well, shit, I'm, let me go back and rethink that and make sure that I'm accounting for that perspective. I'm sorry about the way I conducted that conversation. <laughs> I was No, no, I'm, I don't mean to paint you in a negative light there. No, 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 no. I'm, I think I would deservedly be painted in a negative light there. I, I was a little bit bolshy back in those days for reasons which now make much more sense. I wasn't quite as sweet as I am now. <laughs> you, you were, uh, I think, very skeptical. And you won me over, though. I'm glad you did. Well, uh, part of it is that I think I've had that voice in my head. Any agreement we write, any contract we write with creators, I go through that filter. I've got two voices there. One is you. Me too. <laughs> one, <laughs> one is, one is, 
That's gonna that's gonna be fun for anybody who's just in the podcast version. Of this. <laughs> Uh, one of those voices is yours and the other voice is uh, legal, legal. Uh-huh. So it's like, I'm going to have to convince both of these people mm-hmm. that the thing I came up with is actually oh, good. Oh, God. I mean, yeah, I imagine Devin really gives you a hard time. And if I can't get there, if I can't explain it to Devin satisfactorily uh, and, I, and I can't explain it to you, then I've got no shot with anybody else. If I can, if I can win the two of you over, mm-hmm. then the rest is going to be easy. Mm-hmm. And there's a handful of people in the in the community yeah. here, um, Corey from 12 Tone, Patch from Tier Zoo, who kind of beat me up and there's layers of skepticism. But I know that if I cover these two extremes, Mr. Capitalism, I want to make money, and you. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, What is the philosophically correct, least pro-capitalism horrifying uh, dystopian, yeah. like everything is kind of seen through this, this lens of, of – I don't want to say capitalism bad. There's plenty of creators who who do that, and you know, I have no problem with 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 that perspective. But I don't want to. I don't think that painting you that way is fair. I think your perspective is more like, what is the, what is the most truly fair system hmm. that accounts for all of these things? So yeah, you I and mean, I are aligned in that way. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in questions of who has control and who has power. So I remember the bits of that conversation you mentioned. Um, the creators owning Nebula. I was like, what do you really mean by own hmm. there? Like, are the creators really able to like vote on what happens or stuff like that? So I, Which I is now just, true. That is yeah. that. Uh, yeah, there was uh, the the we had to do a big round of revisions on contracts, and we added in I think it's section twelve or something in the in the creator agreement where going forward we can only make changes to the contract because literally everyone of the creator signs the exact same deal. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets the exact same deal. Mm-hmm. It may vary for uh, from sponsorship to sponsorship, but like yeah. in terms of percentages, um, that's same contract down to the punctuation mark. Everybody signs mm-hmm. the same thing, and uh, in section, I, I think it's section twelve. Um, nobody's fact checking this; they can't see it. But there's a, a section in there that is it basically says any future changes to this agreement have to be voted on by the creators. And there's an entire structure in there mm-hmm. for how those votes take place and what plurality is and how you get to the numbers and all of this. Uh, our lawyers joked that we were just basically inventing our own form of government, which, you know, let's go, let's just go full fucking Hamilton with this thing. Yeah, great. And just start fresh, new financial systems. We're going to nail this one down. Because I think in order to do what we want to do, uh, to to satisfy both the people who want to make more money and the people who are super invested in fairness and equity and what is right, uh, we have to think all that through and we have mm. to give voice to everything. Yeah. Well, that, that was something I actually enjoyed about Nebula and something that I've enjoyed about working with you over the last few years is that you do have that kind of perspective. Um, not everyone to. does, yeah. So you were talking about like all the money gets invested back in. Like I get paid a salary. Um, we we are profitable, but we, we ride close enough to the line intentionally. Like this mm-hmm. is a, we're trying to grow a business here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like I'm drowning in money. But that's also not a complaint. I do fine. Mm-hmm. But I'm much more interested in I could double my salary or I could hire more people. Mm-hmm. And five years from now, am I going to be more excited that I had a big salary today? Or am I going to be more excited that I have a few more people to come yeah. in and uh, build the thing bigger? Like, mm-hmm. do I want to make, uh, you know, another $100,000 this year or do I want to make millions of dollars five years from now? Do I want to build things that put millions or billions of dollars into the creator economy? Mm-hmm. Like what? How much wealth am I building for myself versus how much wealth am I building for others? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And, and uh, what, what's the kind of larger impact on, on the creative space as a whole? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm going to die someday. Probably. Can't take it with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, unless science changes something. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe I won't die. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's assume that I do. Yeah. Uh, between now and then, like I, I need to feel like what I'm doing matters. I need to feel like this is this is all for something. Yeah, it can't definitely. Just, can't just be like, well, had a dope ass Lambo. That was cool. Well, yeah. Well, this is why we had the conversation about the limo. Um, and why I'm I one of my uh, Mrs. X, who is a friend of of the show and uh, an ethical advisor, uh, was uh, was was there, and I said, "What do you think about us going in a limo to the premiere?" Because it's Lovely idea. We were originally just going to take an Uber, um, but I worried. Well, does that is that really in the philosophy tube spirit? Um, and yeah, eventually we did, and I'm glad we did. It was fun. <laughs> the conversation we have is like, if you keep on this acting path, and you mm-hmm. let's say you get invited to the Oscars, we're going to show up on an e-scooter. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. At some point, you have to accept that part of the thing. This is part of the production. This yeah. is part of the show. Yeah. And you, it's okay to enjoy that. Yeah. I think. I think so. I hope so. Um, and also, I suppose it's it's about that journey you mentioned earlier on. Of say, okay, you know, ten years ago I started making YouTube videos in my parents' bedroom, and and you know, last night I rode to the premiere of my own show in a limo. It's it's like that's part of part of the narrative, and it's part um, of the narrative that the audience is invested in. They want yeah, to see you yeah. succeed. That's that's the most wonderful thing, and in a way, the most difficult thing. Um, that was something that really, really struck me last night when, when the credits rolled and everyone was clapping. Standing ovation all the way through the credits. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's one of the most wonderful and, and also... I, when I say difficult things, I mean... Um, I mean moving is what I really mean. Um, that so many people, like 1.3 million people, believe in it and want to see me do well. Um, that's a wonderful force of love to get from the universe um and i said to you in the limo and i I said it using my being vulnerable voice my very quiet being vulnerable voice um that i was very grateful to you for um for letting me do the prince um because again that was like an enormous vote of confidence um so yeah that's that's a wonderful thing about what i do (laughs) i love that what we do here, and I mean me and the the staff and the creators, uh, it's all in service of like, what is the audience going to want? I've been having this conversation with a few folks lately about, I think there's a misunderstanding around what Nebula is. People think of, of it as, as a streaming service the way you would think of like um, Netflix or Disney Plus, not saying that it's at that level, but like when you think streaming service, you think there's content that is streamed, which is yeah. technically true, but we're not a content-based streaming service. Mm-hmm. We're a creator-based streaming service. Yeah. And I think that distinction is important because for us, it's not about uh, – our content strategy is not we need to hit these metrics or we need to invest in this type of content so that we can – hit this demographic, it doesn't matter. What matters to us is we want to bring in this kind of creator and encourage them to make the things they want to make. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that because of that, the investment from the audience is just so much different. And it's hard for outsiders to understand that our power, our power, our Mm -hmm. real power comes from the audience believing in us. Yeah. Like I, I, I put my faith in you because 
it's easy. I, I have nothing but but proof that others have done so and are happy to continue doing so. Mm. So I don't see it as a risk. Yeah, I remember having this. I remember having that conversation with you where I said I'm I'm anxious about letting you down. And I, I always am. Every time I do a new video and I do a Nebula sponsor read, I'm always anxious about letting you down because you do put your confidence in me. And I remember you said something like, well, why don't you let me take X percent and then I'll worry about that. And I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right? Yeah. That's how that works. You had said a minute ago, the uh, in that conversation, your, your approach then versus your approach now for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. We had a, a conversation, I think, back at VidCon last year, sitting around... Um, the, in the backyard at the house that, that we had rented. And I, I had said, and, and I hope this isn't, you know, I wasn't be delicate about stuff like this, mm. but conversations I had with you then and conversations I have with you now, it truly is like night and day. And it was for a while, I, I was just thinking like, well, maybe going through that and there's time and we get to know each other a little bit better. But I think it, it has more to do with, and this is an assumption I'm making, but it really feels like you had this wall up before. And now that you are more uh, comfortable with and free to be who you are, you get to be the real you. Mm-hmm. And so like getting to work with and getting to know and be friends with the real yeah. you is such a different experience compared to before. So much of what I play about that. But maybe not a wall, <laughs> maybe, maybe, because wall's quite difficult to do on stage, maybe armor? Might be quite yeah, a good sort yeah. of visual metaphor for yeah, that. Yeah. Like somebody gradually losing the armor, like literally the mail. Losing falls the away. mail. Yeah, 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 yeah. It 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 made the the experience <laughs> of watching it last night uh, that much more uh, emotionally resonant for me because like I was there. We weren't super close before, and it's like I don't want to say that like oh there was obviously a thing there but in mm-hmm. retrospect a little bit, yeah. uh, but there was a very like th- this is not a person that I feel close to or that I have mm. a strong relationship with. Well, that is easy to get close to because there's a lot of like, ugh, I'm talking about Hotspur, the character, not not me as I was, but or both. Some some overlap there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's not. I don't even mean that as a criticism, but it's yeah. just, it's it's so interesting to me that there's this this dramatic difference between uh, the way you approach your business and business relationships and the community that you're in, in, in one of these universes versus this, this new universe that you've created for yourself and the things that are possible. Cause you started writing the prince before. When I was still in the closet. Yeah. I wrote the first draft. Yeah. And then you finish it and, and bring it to life after transition. So there's this like even that has its own built-in story and yeah. there's an arc to it. There's like a weird necromancy to it. And actually that was one of the most difficult emotionally things for me was going back into that mindset, in particular that body language, mm-hmm. that very like, oh, uh, kind of body language. And it was it was also strange because there were people who came to see the play who'd known me for years, um, including um, one one uh, very old friend um, who's who's one of my one of my close friends now. Her name's Grace. Uh, she was my girlfriend when I was fourteen, Aww. and I hadn't seen her in years. And she came to see the show. She came down from the north, came to see it, and she said, "After she said, I remember you being like that. I remember that that person." I was like, "Uh huh, uh huh, <laughs> yeah." In the in the big twist video, uh, when you first step out and sit down, the the reveal. I remember you. There's a, a line about like, "Oh, thank God, I don't have to do the voice anymore." <laughs> uh, but like even here earlier, you you like you you'll drop into it for a bit. You'll drop yeah. into it for a laugh, 
And I, one of the things I found so interesting about... It's difficult the, to do it now, I see. One of the things that I found so interesting about the play is like, here you are, and it gets so fucking meta. Here you are, you, you wrote this, and you chose to, to put yourself in this role that is specifically a male character, but not, but mm-hmm. you don't do the voice. And not doing the voice is part of the thing. Yeah. It's part of the, the story being told. If you did it, you could sell it to the audience. Mm-hmm maybe even sell it to the character themselves, but it doesn't serve the story in that way. Yeah. We each, had that conversation in like, I think week one of rehearsals. Each um, one of these things is a choice. Yeah. It's it's interesting to me, God, this turned into so much more of an interview than, than I meant for it to be, because I had like a million questions about how this works, but like the it's such an interesting choice because you would think that having to occupy that role, as you would put it, for so long, and then breaking free of that role to intentionally do things that put you back into that role in one form or, or another, it seems like that would be so uncomfortable uh, emotionally or psychologically that you, of course, wouldn't want to do that. And yet you choose to do things that that put you there or to use that as a framework for mm. self-analysis or, or uh, uh, sharing that emotional experience. Mm. The thing is called the prince. Mm-hmm. Again, there's there's an intent to this that uh, is remarkable. How do you how do you resolve this? Yeah, that that was one of the most difficult bits about doing it. Actually, was getting and it was more difficult than I thought. Um, and I'm really glad that, um, in particular, our assistant director EM was there. Uh, that they they took good care of me in that regard because it it was difficult. Um, and it took a it took a toll. Uh, the final scene, uh, which I won't spoil, but the final scene always came as a relief to me. Um, also, mm. there's there's a degree to which the voice does change in the final scene, um, but yeah, they, it, it was it was very difficult to step back into that closet, I suppose. Um, but I did it for a few reasons. One is that um, I knew that the story needed it. I knew that the audience would need it in order to to see the story. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, for for Jen and Sam, the audience needs to understand what they're seeing and, and the yeah. pieces they're putting yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the hardest things about it was that I was the only trans person in the cast who had to do that. All the other trans characters are seen as mm. all they really are. The trans actors are seen as they really are. Although, um, with the exception of, of Tiana playing Kate. Um, but... Uh, yeah, that that was that was tough. Like being on stage next to um, Joni and Mary, and and them being the kind of wonderful, beautiful women that they are, and then me feeling like this sort of horrible monster um, was was very hard. Um, but the story needed it, and um, the show needed it. It was also kind of a flex. I was like, <laughs> you know what, I I can do this. That the the only way that it works, the only way that opening bit works. And where Hotspur says we have no use for women on the field, mm-hmm. is if the audience can quite clearly see that she's a woman. Right. Um, that's the only way the kind of denial works. And all of Act One is about. It's kind of almost funny that Hotspur is denying this. Like it's just so obvious. And then it becomes. It's not funny anymore. And, and sitting in the audience, the, there's for a while. It's okay. Is this the bit? Yeah. Like I get it. Do they get it? And mm-hmm. then it's it like it slowly starts to come together that. Yeah. Yes, part of the 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 point of the POV characters, uh, well, primarily Jen, but also Sam, is to to sort of help the the uh, the audience understand like what they're seeing is what we're seeing. That yeah. that isn't just you you put this this particular actor in that role mm-hmm. to like 
you know, be woke and do the thing. Yeah. And it's not a political statement. It is a statement on humanity. Yeah. And one of the most interesting things to come out of this is we're – after the premiere, we, we walked over to the, the bar for the after party. Uh, and <laughs> everyone in heels took cars. Yeah. And so the the folks that walked – it was like a 15-minute walk. The folks that walked over, it's all dudes. Mm-hmm. It's uh, specifically like uh, at least, you know, presumably uh, cishet white dudes. Mm-hmm. That group of people talking about how much they loved this and how relatable it was, to me, that's like a bit of a coup. Yeah, I'm, it, I'm so glad. <laughs> it's like it would be – typically you see this kind of thing and it's like uh, um, almost it, – it can be it, it can be he- a heavy-handed um, – Here's a coming of age story, which is an allegory for yeah, uh, you yeah, know, yeah. trans coming out yeah. or, or a gay coming out story. But this was like very overtly a trans coming out story that works in the reverse as an mm-hmm. allegory of accepting yourself or accepting yeah. that you may not be exactly where others would expect you to be on any given spectrum. Yeah. And that's just like, that's a human experience thing. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm particularly glad that the guys, the, 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 the fellas, the dudes could relate to it because it, <laughs> as far boys. as I'm concerned, like it's it's a play that is about masculinity and what is the value of that. Um, and masculinity is sort of, um, uh, the, it's like Shakespeare is sort of set up as, as the central metaphor for masculinity. Mm. But if you are, because not all the, I guess, can we get spoilers? Well, we're, we're far enough into the recording. We're yeah. far enough into this podcast that if you haven't seen it by yeah. now, but you've listened to this much of this episode of the yeah. show... I would question why you would choose to do things in that order. Okay, fair So enough. maybe spoilers. Spoilers from here on out. From here on out, expect yeah. spoilers. So not all of the characters get out of the Shakespeare multiverse at the end. Some of them stay. Um, and for me, it was like, well, masculinity is a fine thing. Um, and as, you know, the Shakespearean language, it's not irreverent. It's not thrown aside. There are moments where it's deliberately held up. It's like masculinity is a fine thing if that's where you're meant to be. But the idea that it is in fact not natural and unquestionable but that you can question it um and that is what the central characters are trying to do that for me is what the play was was sort of about who stayed in the dad no no the dad gets out there's it's it's a kind of blink and you'll miss it um line where they say some people take longer remember what dad was like but the implication is that is that henry does get out yeah that that Um, was my expectation but douglas douglas stays douglas doesn't get out oh that's right that's right worcester too so many layers to this thing. Yeah. Well, we talked about what might happen if so the final scene takes place in Brighton. We talked about what might happen if um, we see uh, like uh, Henry is like an ice cream seller or he's like walking around in the background or that somebody's like walking a dog or whatever and they all get out. And, I, and then I was like, no, I don't think I want them all to get out. Some of them, I think it's right for them to stay. But just for Sam and Jen and Hotspur and Hal and, and also Henry as well. Um, it's not. But even then, I mean, those are characters who still challenge the status quo. It's not yeah. like they stayed because they liked it better or that they uh, had, a, a, I don't know, moral or whatever opposition to the yeah. other characters. They they mm-hmm. actively question structures when when they have their breaks. Yeah, yeah. When the world starts to break, they do start to question it. But then the world reasserts itself and they, they don't anymore. Yeah, so the – I mean, to be fair, the, the guys I was with who watched this thing were talking about like – you know, uh, arts and humanities YouTuber nerds. So not like a bunch of stereotypical jocks walking down the street having a mm-hmm. conversation about this. So maybe as an audience, we were just sort of self-selected. Yeah, we, we were maybe, primed yeah. to go into this. So it's hard to know like what the broadest possible audience is, what they would what they would take away from it. But I think that for anybody watching this, 
and again, if you haven't, you, you really should, the messages or the themes I, I don't think are exclusive in any way. I hope not, yeah. Because I remember the first four drafts, they were quite exclusive and, and very sort of trans-focused. And I realised by the end of draft four, I was like, well, I've expressed how I feel, but um, I'm a strong believer that just because you've expressed yourself doesn't mean your art is good. So I thought, well, okay, how can I actually make sure an audience, well, you know, I've expressed myself, great. Why should the audience care? Mm. If they're not an audience who already care about me, and many of them were, but if they're not, then why should they care? Especially if it's something they've never felt before or couldn't feel. So I was like, all right, I need to make this more universal. And I need to make it not just about Hotspur, but the other characters too. Yeah, I, th I think there's, I mean, a million things I could say about this, especially about uh, Mary who played Jen was just incredible and so watchable. So very, like, I want to mm. see an entire series of of <laughs> these uh, Shakespeare multiverse stories where she's just hopping around, like, infinitely rewatchable. I'm still thinking about it, which is a, a good... That's a good sign. A good sign. And it feels weird to, like, talk about it in terms that, that are any sort of review because, like, obviously I'm biased. My name's in the credits. <laughs> and, you know, that's cool. But here's here's the best possible review I can give this thing or the most meaningful review I can give this. I think this changes what we are. I think this is a key moment for Nebula because we started out ostensibly um, a streaming service for educational content. Mm -hmm. Like we do Night of the Coconut. That's a sci-fi movie about an interdimensional coconut that wants to mm -hmm. kill everybody. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's not super educational. Mm -hmm. We do Jet Lag, a travel game show. Not sure what the educational value is in that, mm -hmm. but it's fun. Mm -hmm. And so we start to kind of break our own boundaries. This is the first thing we've done that I, I, I think is genuinely, truly arguable as this is high art. This is a thing that would stand on its own apart from us or from this collection of things. It stands apart from even its own creator. I think that your story is a really interesting part of the story of the show mm -hmm. and that context is good. But um, unlike so much of, of what we do as creators, as, as you know, people who make YouTube videos or podcasts, a lot of what we do sort of depends on us, depends on our personality. Mm -hmm. I don't think the prince does. I think it's informed by mm -hmm. in the way that, um, you know, knowing the story of an author might help you understand a book better. Yeah. I, I think it works that way. But I don't think that if, if you were to, uh, if, if someone were to put together a production of this, uh, in in their own local theater, or mm -hmm. if it gets moved to another uh, country and there's other people in the cast, I don't think that it doesn't hold up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing that has to happen is that Hotspur, Sam and Jen have to be played by trans women. Mm -hmm. um, it's possible, I, I have no idea who can see into the future, um, it's possible that someday there might be a production of it in which somebody else plays Hotspur. And mm -hmm. I'll be like, oh, she did a way better job than me. Like, <laughs> Uh, it's possible. I mean, uh, that's how Hamilton worked. Yeah, 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 true, true, true. Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote that for himself. And yeah. then in, similarly, his his uh, his big thing was that they could just, there need to be people of color. There needs to be yeah. representation on the cast. Yeah. But eventually it gets handed off and the thing gets bigger than you. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have delusions of grandeur on your behalf, but like there's, I don't see why this couldn't grow beyond what it is now and why, why it couldn't. Uh, carry on uh, uh, with a life of its own. No, well, maybe you know I'm, I'm having conversations with with various people I can't talk about for what might happen with it. I think this is the beginning of something, and that's what makes this show so exciting for mm. me. 
And the rise I'm, of the act fluencer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a story of like, let's say you go on to do all these other things and, you know, Hollywood calls and and you you leave all of us behind. There's There's no version of that that is like, Oh, if only we could have held on to you. Like mm. you, you having a success story above and beyond what we do here is still good for us. This yeah. is still a system that we have built to help you do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that the, the existence of this on Nebula and the fact that we get to be a part of the story, like our name is on the poster there twice, top and bottom. Mm-hmm. Our name is on there more than yours is. I just realized. <laughs> <laughs> well, you pay for it. Then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what that's what you get with a check. I think that this reframes necessarily for for anyone paying attention uh, what Nebula is, what Nebula is about, and uh, hopefully makes creators think differently about the things that they might want to make. If if someone else out there has a cool, ambitious project, uh, any one of our creators who wants to do something cool and ambitious like this, maybe they watch The Prince and say, maybe I don't need to just do my show a bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's this other like part of me that I could show off that my mm-hmm. audience would be excited about and want to support. Mm. It resets the room a little bit on what this kind of creator should be creating. Like I'm glad. you say act fluencer. Uh yes and um Hollywood doesn't come calling. Hollywood sees YouTube as a farm league. They they come to YouTube when they want cheap labor. Or uh, they want to bring in people who are just going to bring an audience. I think of like I, I did uh, music. I was a professional musician in a band here in New York City for years. Mm-hmm. And you would, you'd book shows where they, the only thing they cared about, the only question they would ask is, how many friends can you get to show up? Yeah, yeah. And it would be, I can't tell you how many nights we would play a show where the room is full when it's, uh, no joke, the lesbian folk singer solo artist mm-hmm. who who is up before us and then as soon as she comes off stage the entire room empties out and it's the band on stage the bartender and the bass player's girlfriend literally empty beyond Oof. that it's all about how many people can you bring with you yeah. i think that is how youtube or uh, how hollywood tends to look at youtube mm-hmm. is you've got a built-in audience we want that but we don't really care about investing in you or your talent and even if we do we're going to do it as if you're brand new yeah we're going to try to get all this extra value out of you, and we're going to kind of give you nothing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's it's about trying to build. Can we build a prestige layer? Can we build a thing above YouTube where creators can make the sorts of things that they want to make, uh, like projects like this, things that you're excited about that don't necessarily require you to uh, serve a, a, a recommendation algorithm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's something I really like about it. Actually, is that uh, Nebula gave me the room to <laughs> gave me permission to be weird, um, which is a bit of a cliche, but uh, yeah, that's that's the wonderful thing about it. I think we've done a terrible job of arguing on this episode. Yes, I think we have. You're a very agreeable person, Dave. <laughs> also, all of all of my friends, listeners, if you, if you can't see Dave's whiskers' face, uh, all of my friends who came to the after party last night, multiple people have messaged me telling me how attractive Dave is, <laughs> which is very funny. <laughs> I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. It's lovely to hear. Well, I mean, I was very well dressed last night. I'll go with that. Mm-hmm. I, at one point, I had said to somebody uh, on the the red carpet, like looking around, like this is very different from other, very different crowd, subtly yeah. different crowd from yeah, 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 yeah. other things we've done. There's some very good looking people there last and, night. It was and the good. response was, really, Dave, what's different <laughs> about them? 
like trying to spring a trap for me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. these people dressed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone here is like, they brought their A game. Oh, they, yeah. They are out. We're having a party. This is a night on the town. And at, at other things, and this is no shade to other audiences, but they don't bring that kind of game. Like they'll 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 you know put on a nice shirt or something, but they're like going to the movies. Yeah. Uh, these other events with this, this was a night at the theater. And yeah. They were oh like yeah. Gay people stay thing. winning. Like. <laughs> and the after party was like I remember we had talked before all of this happened about like how to set up the like how much room do we have how many people can you bring and there's like n- uh, details we had to figure out and it was so fussy and in the end it's like I even texted you like you owe me and I told you so because. Mm-hmm. Finding a way for you to invite all of your friends out of it. That party was nuts in the best possible way because it's a handful of YouTubers and just like wall-to-wall gorgeous women. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I invited the two groups of people who I know in America, which is smoking hot women and podcasters. <laughs> Those are the two, like, yeah, that was, that was really, really funny. Um, but yeah, we yeah we had a wonderful time because I remember we originally had that discussion. You said, oh, we're going to have a Nebula after party um, but only you and Mrs. X can come. Um, and I was like, well, mm, I don't know. Um, what about, you know, all the people I've invited? What about all the creators? What about Mrs. Z, who also turned up? And, you know, other people. Um, so, and I'm, I'm glad that we found a way. Eventually, we were like, fine, well, just everyone can just come. And it was it was a wonderful night. And it's a small logistics challenge. It wasn't yeah. an intent to exclude. It was just like, a, we have this room. How do we do this? How can we arrange yeah. things? And it turned out to be way easier than I thought it was going to be mm-hmm. to get that sorted out. Also, the pizza was really good. Joe's pizza. I, I don't know who got that, but yeah. As um, Tara, my assistant, set that up. Oh. So yeah, the, the guy shows up with like stacks of yeah. uh, Joe's pizza boxes and yeah. it's like, that's the right answer. Yeah, yeah. yeah Joe's, this is delicious. not an ad, but yeah. you know, if you're ever in New York, Joe's pizza is the pizza you should get. Okay. Very famously, it's where uh, uh, Toby Maguire's Peter Parker worked when he was delivering pizzas oh, for Joe's Pizza. They have, in the nice. in the shop, they have all these signs up and cool. pictures from the movie and stuff. Cool. But yeah, it was a that was an incredible night. That was. Anytime we do one of these, the after parties are always great because it's just so many wonderful people. This was a very different crowd of wonderful people, mm-hmm. but I'm so glad I got to meet them. I'm so glad I got to spend time with them. Me too. And the the the. Level of of love and joy in that room. Mm-hmm. It was just so fulfilling, so wholesome. I come I come away from the entire experience just feeling like this much hungover, but but this much just like yeah, full. It you was, know, it was very wholesome. Yeah, like getting getting to be there in the theater next to you when when like everybody stands up clapping. The first time you're getting to watch yourself in that way. Yeah, yeah, that was wild. Watching yourself on a movie theater screen is weird. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I have notes uh, <laughs> about my performance. Um, there are some things that I that I was worried about that I, oh, I don't need to worry about that anymore. And there were some things um, that I wasn't worried about that I was like, oh, I should revisit that and sort of work on that. Just as because I'm actor brained. That I, I the reason I write is so that I can act mm. um, because that's what I love doing. And you got to make your own work. So um, I was sort of giving myself acting notes throughout. In a good way. Sure. Like if, if it if it helps you sharpen your game, yeah. I yeah. I don't know. I, I don't really have any notes. <laughs> I got no complaints. This thing turned out amazing. I'm so excited people get to see it. Uh my my takeaway is that so much of what we try to do is produce things that are evergreen. Things that can can stand the test of time a little bit. And this in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Uh, it it feels like something where there's there's 
circles of people who would love this. Mm -hmm. Shakespeare nerds, uh, theater nerds in general, um, people who uh, are are from the the collection of marginalized groups represented in the story, people who are like niche internet culture nerds, uh, anyone from any one of these groups might, uh, would, I think, love this. But w when you when you take away one of those circles, the rest of it doesn't collapse. Mm -hmm. It's not a Venn diagram that yeah. needs them all to be there in order for it to be true. And I think that most importantly and most interestingly, uh, and, and what has me so like riled up about this thing's potential and the potential for its impact is that I think the people who love it today, when they watch it today, I think that 10 years from now, they're still going to look at it through the same lens. Mm. This isn't like a YouTuber did a neat one-off project one time and it, like, hey, remember uh, way back before she did all these other things yeah. and she was in those things we can't talk about today. Remember, she she made this little yeah. uh, this little play, and that was that was really fun to to see that as like part of the growth story. Yeah. I think this stands. I think this stands the test of time. Well, there are people who have told me that they came out because of the prince. No shit. Oh yeah. Wow. There were some some nights I could see in the audience the people who like sometimes the audience would leave, and there'd be one or two people just sitting there like. Uh, yeah, I kind of learned to. Although somebody would come up to me afterwards with a with a look in their eye that I've sort of learned to recognize over the last few years, and go like, "Thank you, you've really kind of given me a lot to think about." So um, I think there'll be some people who'll remember it, maybe the rest of their lives. Wow, as something that that you know gave them the nudge, gave them the magic handshake. <laughs> Do you see that as a like responsibility of yours? Yes. Yes, it's an enormous responsibility. <laughs> um, when somebody tells you that, it's uh, it's like a big, it's a big weight. When someone says, "I came out because of you," and I'm like, especially, oh well, I suppose that's in large part because the material conditions for trans people right now are certainly in my country not great, um, but they're also not really within my control to alter. So I, I, I feel sometimes that it's like, oh, you've jumped into this big thing that can be very scary, mm. even though it's the best thing you'll ever do if you are trans. Um, but it's you've you've kind of now been drafted into a war that we didn't start, um, mm. and that I don't really have the power to direct. Um, so it, I, I, I worry sometimes to people when they tell me that, but I don't mind them saying it. Certainly, I understand that when people say it, they mean it in gratitude. I, I, I recognize that my opinion on this means nothing, and especially in this conversation. Mm. Um, <laughs> that said, my show, fuck it, I'm going to say it. Yeah. Uh, what I I do not disagree. I think you're right. This is a war that you didn't start, and it, there are many reasons why this is a shitty time. I'm also grateful that the there's enough climate for things like this to get made and find an audience. There's enough cultural understanding around this issue. Maybe not cultural agreement, but cultural yeah. understanding of the terms and what some of these things yep. mean that you can put together a story like this, which take this back in time 30 years, I don't think it plays. No, and no. I don't think it plays not because the issues weren't there, but because we didn't have the tools and the language to talk about them. Yeah, the idea of being trans—that that wasn't even a thing people said. Yeah, well, the word trans is never mentioned in the script deliberately. No one ever says it. Oh, yeah, there's one moment where Jen is about to, where she says, "I think you know, you're like me because we're both." And Hotspur pulls a sword on her and says, "Don't." Um, Interesting. Yeah. But like, there's a cultural understanding around this issues that I think yeah. I think uh, uh, serves the the story here that contextually in the time that this is coming out. Um, 
no, no pun intended, but mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm, I'm grateful in that sense that at least there's enough, the temperature isn't perfect, but at least it's, it's, it's somewhere in the range that we yeah. can start to do things like this. And that's, yeah, what's yeah. going to hopefully, again, I, I understand my, my, my lack of perspective here, but I would hope, um, helps to move that conversation forward and helps to get us there. Time will tell. I hope so. Do you, so I'd ask about the responsibility, like, do you want that to be, do you feel good about that? Is that, a th- are you happy that this is something that that's spurring people to make those kinds of decisions? Or would you, like that, that's, it's an awful lot. Is that a burden? Well, I'm, I'm in two minds about this and this is something I haven't, I haven't really quite resolved. On the one hand, it's really nice to be part of that and like good representation it's really nice that people are inspired by it to find a truth in themselves or to some people message me to say, Hey, like seeing your plays really helped me understand my, my sister or my brother or my, my child. Um, that's wonderful. And I get those sorts of messages about philosophy tube as well. That's one hand. On the other hand, uh, I do think a lot about material conditions and I think, well, just the other day in the UK, they changed the rules so that if I were to be arrested for any reason in the UK now, even if I had a gender recognition certificate, even if I transitioned 20 years ago, get arrested on a, on a drink driving or something minor like that, go to a male prison. And, you know, a quarter of, uh, was it like a quarter of homeless youth are LGBT. Um, there's new guidelines coming down from the Department of Education soon, which are expected to get rid of, you know, tra- stop trans children being allowed in British schools. The, um, the only clinic in England which provides medical care to trans kids has been shut down. And that's just England. Like The stuff that's happening in this country is, in some places, horrible. Um, and so there's a part of me that recognises it. It's nice to have good representation. But there's another part of me that thinks, well, if those things can happen, then what good does it really do if Abigail Thorne is on television? And... There's another part of me that's even more harsh that's like, well, Abigail, you're doing all right and you're creating a career for yourself, even enriching yourself, but are you really doing enough? Um, which is why I guess I also, on the side, do kind of charity and volunteering and stuff that I don't always talk about publicly. Um, but yeah, that's um, I'm always in two minds about that sort of thing because representation is nice, but... The goal is is for us to have the power to control our own lives. You have to get there somehow. Yeah. Like there's no, you don't flip a switch and the world accepts everything. Yeah. Which is shitty. Mm. I'm not saying that's a good thing. But uh, when we look back 30, 40, 50 years into the past, these same sorts of, and uh, again, I, I, I know I'm not qualified to talk about what the gay experience is like today versus what it was 30 years mm-hmm. ago, but I, I could see the way the cultural conversation has changed. Things like having a gay character on a sitcom then was like really edgy. Mm-hmm. Now, you wouldn't even think twice about it. And there's still so much more progress that needs to be made, mm-hmm. but I'm hopeful yeah. Um, that that looking at the trajectory of the arc of history, these things have um, you know, maybe a brighter future. It's, it'll be that way because things are done, because things are mm-hmm. changed, because of representation. Not, um, I don't know, you take the good or the bad. Yeah. There's responsibility and then there's the limo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the balance. Mm. <laughs> Got to live the question, I think. That's one of my favorite phrases. 
than the poet Rilke. I don't think these are questions that can like really be solved with a pithy answer or at the end of a video essay. Um, it's just a question I live inside of. I think the question almost matters more than the answer. Like this is the nuance that you lose when you try to make an argument on Twitter. Like you, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. We have to, we have to choose our sides, and we have to wear our our wave our flags, wear our uniforms in these these culture battles without really thinking through. Like it, it's funny in in a in an era where we all sort of understand uh, within the vernacular the the language of how we talk about this stuff. We use the word spectrum a lot now. Mm-hmm in ways that we didn't 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. And yet, ironically, because of uh, social media and the types yeah. of internet conversations, like all of the nuance of spectrum in conversation is mm. kind of gone. Yeah, yeah, there's this interesting tendency, which is partly, I think, reinforced by the like, algorithmic recommendations yes. to make one's uh, personal attributes be that sexuality or gender or like, pronouns or whatever, to make them legible to the machine, mm-hmm. um, which is like you tick the box with your your pronouns in and there's like, you know, three options or five options or 10 options. But either way, you have to, you have to make it legible to the machine. Um, I was talking about this on, on my podcast, Kill James Bond, when we reviewed the film Hedwig and the Angry Inch, mm. of which the, the lead character Hedwig's gender is like kind of a mess. In a, and we, we have this <laughs> argument about, well, is Hedwig like a gay man or like a drag queen or a trans woman? Or like, what exactly, or, you know, is, is she non-binary? What exactly is Hedwig? And we had this, uh, this chat about how, well, when John Cameron Mitchell wrote that, there wasn't this kind of pressure to make one's gender and sexuality technologically mediated or uh, uh, technologically legible. Um, so uh, so there wasn't the same sort of pressure to categorize it in these discrete ways. Um, so I think it's interesting to see, and it will be interesting to see how that continues to develop, um, the way that people's people need to be legible to the computer. It's funny, the, was it earlier this week? I think earlier this week, I recorded an episode of this show with um, Peter from Foreign Man in a Foreign Land. It'll probably mm-hmm. come out after this one, so spoiler alerts, everybody. Um, for for the reasons of promoting the prince and the, mm. the good fortune of having you here doing this out of order makes sense. But the conversation was largely about uh, the way that the the algorithmic separation makes it to where it used to be you would go on the internet and you'd say something vaguely racist or vaguely transphobic or vaguely homophobic and people would be like, dude, that's kind of fucked up. Yeah. And like there was a shame that came with that because it was more culturally acceptable to point out that a person like, hey, that's kind of – and that person had a social contract responsibility to go, oh, shit, and either slink back into the shadows with that opinion, uh, so not, knowing not to bring them up, or maybe reframe – rethink whether or not that was an acceptable opinion to have. Mm-hmm. Now you go onto an online community and you say something vaguely racist or transphobic or homophobic and the response will be like, dude, that's kind of fucked up. You're nowhere near the truth. That's way worse. You have no idea what black people are really doing. And then you like get in this cycle of like, oh, that's, you know, I have an even worse opinion. Yeah. And then all of these horrible fucking things are normalized for yeah. you. And you went from being like this much racist and awful to mm. this much racist and awful. Yeah, there's a great book just... about this called um, Rage Inside the Machine, which is about yeah. um, political radicalization and algorithmic content recommendation. Yeah, whoops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> there's all this talk about like with, with AI, we've, uh, it, it reads, uh, it, it ingests all of this human-generated conversation from the mm. internet, yeah. and then all of the AI eventually becomes racist. Yeah, well, I, I had a... So do people. <laughs> I had a, this... Um, 
like a bit of a horrible experience with this the other day with like an AI image generator. Um, and there was, a, I think, a good article about this recently in, I can't remember what newspaper. But um, I posted a, a promo image for my next video on Twitter and somebody replied saying, oh, hey, we don't mind, but I gave this to an AI to like generate things along a similar line. And first of all, I was like, okay, well, I've just spent a long time with designers and makeup artists and like costumers to create this image and photographers, which you've just like taken without my permission and given it to some AI company. So first yeah. of all, don't, I don't, I don't want to say it's like stealing, but I was like, don't do that for like business reasons. But secondly, this thing spat out a bunch of sort of remixes of my image. One of which was an image of a digitally simulated image of me topless. And I was like, I feel really violated by that, that somebody has used an AI to make pornography of me against my consent. I was like, that feels like that should be like turbo illegal. In <laughs> fairness to the guy, I don't think he prompted it to do that. I think it's just because the AI had consumed so many big titty anime girls. It's like, well, that's what woman is, right? I've detected woman. I'm giving woman again. And that's what women are like, right? Because the AI like has the mind of a like, 13 year old boy who <laughs> thinks that that's what women look like. I was like, this is kind of disgusting and violating. Um, in a way that like, made me feel very like creeped out. Um, but I was like, well, that's because the, the AI has just sort of like consumed all this stuff and spat it back. And it seemed like the guy who sent that to me genuinely didn't realize that might be like disgusting to do. Nobody told him. Until I replied to him saying, please never do this. It's very creepy that you would simulate an image of my naked body without my consent. And he he deleted it. Um, but I was Good like, for him on that front, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the notion that like, we feed these robots all of this stuff yeah. and they become toxic. Like yeah. that's some flaw in the programming. That's how we work. Yeah. If you yeah, feed yeah. humans all this toxic shit, we become toxic too. Yeah. The robots are just like us. Yeah. They're yeah. just doing it faster. Yeah. I don't think that the, we shouldn't be surprised about this. Mm. It's funny though, because they there's, um, I forget what it's called, one of these, these like digital avatar generator things. Like a, a month or so ago, everybody's playing with it and you yeah. feed it a couple like eight pictures of you and it gives you like a million different options from different genres yeah. and all this. Uh, I, I posted on Instagram, I thought it was funny how it kept all of the ones it did of me were shirtless. And I just thought that was funny. Mm. Didn't even occur to me until just now that that's funny for me as a guy, way less funny on the other side. And my, my, my mm. wife did the same thing and it didn't do that for her. Mm -hmm. Probably smart enough to self-censor, I guess. I don't know. Maybe their AI is trained differently. Or they have some horribly underpaid person in Kenya who's just there going, mm. not that one, not that one, not that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it, interesting that I, and this is a check your privilege moment, and not, did, didn't even click for me that it's not just about uh, gender and whether or not it's okay to generate topless photos of a man, mm. but... Not, well, it's not nice to do that to you either. <laughs> well, you, right, right. Like, it's funny in context, and I can make an internet joke out mm. of it and move on with my life. Didn't even think twice about it. But yeah, that's kind of, I don't feel violated, but I absolutely get how that machine doing that with what it perceives as uh, turning male faces and, mm -hmm. and male bodies, like, that could be horrifying mm. for people who maybe have similar facial bone structure to me but don't identify as men. Yeah. So having topless photos generated might be yeah, yeah, destructive yeah. psychologically in, yeah. in ways that I hadn't even thought about. Hmm. Rage Inside the Machine. It's a good book. I feel like we should plug it or something. Mm. This, is, this has been um, an incredible conversation. Thank I am you. so glad you're here. And I mean me that too. in every way. Literally, I'm, I'm glad you're here in this room. I'm glad that you're out here for the show, for the for the premiere. I'm glad that you're a part of everything that we're building. I'm I'm glad that in 
our own weird way and my own weird way gotten to get to be a, a part of, of all of this. Mm. I remember when you were dropping the, the, the video that I referenced earlier, you sent me a message of like, yeah, I'm in the middle of this, um, uh, the live stream thing. Uh, I need you to swap out a couple of photos. <laughs> And I was like, all right, let's go. Because it was like, yeah, uh, by the way, uh, quick thing you should know, here's the here's the information. Please swap out these photos. And it's like on it, and we took care of it. I think uh, actually Eric, the uh, producer on this show, like he had to swap a couple of things out on the Nebula side. And uh, Brick, who does the merch stuff, like swap stuff out over there. Like we quickly... I really appreciated the, the speed of that. The well, only people who were faster was Wikipedia. <laughs> How bad would it look for us? <laughs> yeah. If we weren't. Yeah. Uh but I I don't I don't know if this is okay to cover. Uh the later on we talked about it and you're like you finally got your breath. We had a conversation. And I'm I didn't know how to say it. it's like so I kind of worked it out. And you're like, "How?" <laughs> I was like, "Well, there's like one conversation where I'm like, can you send me a photo we were going to put a thing up on the wall yeah, and it was yeah. like Hey, maybe I'm doing some new headshots. Uh, mm -hmm. It's really important that make, maybe we just put that off for a minute. Mm -hmm. And there's like some other thing where you had um, uh, like like a, a a passing comment on like a couple of things that you had dealt with over the last couple of uh, last mm -hmm. year or two or something like that. And for some reason, like a little little switch went off in my head. I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> I, I wonder. And mm -hmm. you would ask me when we talked about this. You asked me like, why didn't you say anything? Mm. What could I have said, Abby? Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. I know. One, that's that's. If I'm right, that's not my place. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be confronted with that. Yeah. If I'm wrong, that is terrible. <laughs> what, yeah. What a yeah, thing yeah. to be wrong about. There's no yeah. winning move there. Yeah. Well, the, as the characters in the Prince discover, you you can't really just tell someone. They have to. Mm -hmm. They have to walk through the door themselves. Or you can create something that inspires people to recognize things in themselves. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that. Yeah, that, that yeah that, that's a weird. It's a weird, um, strange thing that you have to navigate when you come out as trans. Is there are people in my life now who I know are trans that so they don't know. Um, I'm not dropping any hints here, um, but uh, yeah, I'm not trying to tell you something. <laughs> but no, well, no, we had a whole conversation about not, makeup yesterday. No, so. yeah, yeah, not you, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I know, I know, I know people who I'm like, ah, uh, you're gonna figure this out in a couple of years, and it's, it's like, oh, do I tell you? How do I tell you if I do? Um, yeah, it's a weird one. There's no GPS for this, right? No, and there's no no foolproof trans radar, but sometimes you can just be like, yeah, okay. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Dave. Normally the way we would end the show is like a resolution of the argument, yeah. but I feel like we've just been kind of like, we should have acoustic guitars and a campfire. Yeah, it's really nice. This is great. Yeah, thank you. Do you want to tell people where to find the things? I mean, go.nebula.tv slash the prince is where you can... Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. With yes. the landing page, uh, the, the go.nebula.tv, that's yeah. the, the special landing page version with like mm -hmm. all the accolades and the, mm -hmm. the the feathery things. What do you call those? Laurel Laurels? Yeah, yeah all, all of those up along the top and you mm -hmm. keep winning awards, so we keep having to add more. The graphics team is like, throw another one in there, throw another <laughs> one in there. Um, yeah, so uh, my YouTube channel is Philosophy Tube. You can see The Prince uh, exclusively on Nebula. Django comes out it's on a uh, time of recording. Django comes out on Friday on Sky and Catalia, and I think maybe later in the year HBO. I'm not sure. Not my department. There's a big Western series I'm in, um, and then uh, Mystery Project will be out on Mystery Channel in like 2025. I don't know. Um, yeah, everything else. Find me on socials, and I'll keep you updated. <laughs>